Libby B. Anderson, and you're listening to the She Who Overcomes podcast, the weekly show that helps you spark hope and creativity for your life and business. In case we've never met before, I'm the chief creative officer and a leadership coach at a company called Rayma Team. I love coffee dates and books, stiletto shoes, running, kayaking, and I just happen to be living with a disease called cystic fibrosis. I'm sharing my story as well as the stories of people from around the world to help you rise up with hope-filled action. Grab your coffee and let's hang out. Hey, Overcomers, welcome back to the She Who Overcomes podcast. I am so excited because today I have with us my very best friend and business partner, Rachel Perman, who is the CEO of our company, Rayma Team. So welcome to the show, Rachel. Thanks for having me. And I'm excited to be officially interviewed by you for this new season of the podcast. I know we've never really done this before. Usually we have a conversation because this isn't the first time you've been on the show. No, but it is the first time where you're going to officially ask me the questions that you would normally ask a guest. So that is, that's a little different. And I think it's a little bit like, hmm, how's this going to go? Because usually we just sit and we talk and we have a great conversation. We record it. Um, So hopefully the same thing happens, uh, even though it's going to be a little bit more like structured. Uh, which is probably not a bad thing for us. No, I think I think it will be great. And it's going to be the very first episode where I have this theme of like hope and creativity and just kind of bringing in all of the aspects of that for life and business. So we're going to just dive right in with the very first question. And that is, if you were a shoe, what would you be? I think I spent a lot of time thinking about this answer, probably more time more time than I should have. And what I came up with is I would be a ballet flat. And the reason I would be a ballet flat is because I can no longer wear heels the way that I used to. But there's something about a ballet flat that is super classic still. And it can go from casual to dressed up. Like you can still wear it with a dress and it looks super cute. Um, and it still attaches to my foot. So I won't fall down or trip over my shoe. Um, so I think for me, I would be a ballet flat, probably in a classic black. And yeah, that that would be my shoe. <laughs> I love that because the very first podcast that we ever did had a picture of shoes on it. This is like, what, six years ago, almost seven, maybe it was quite a while ago. And oh gosh, it was a while. like a red ballet flat. I did. Yep. And I had I had like this tan stiletto. Mm-hmm. And so you're you're keeping in line with with what is really your personality, which I love. Yeah, I think so. And I have all of my beautiful heels in plastic boxes in my closet. And I say hi to them every so often. I'm certainly not gonna get rid <laughs> of them. And I do talk to them because I think they miss being worn. Um, but yeah, that's that's me, I think, um, at my truest self is a flat of some kind, but not not necessarily a tennis shoe, but definitely that ballet flat style is gonna be me. So we created this video at Rayma Team that is all about 
this idea of if you were a shoe, what would you be? And the the whole premise of it is that our shoes tell a story about us. And I've been doing this thing for a year now where I just, when I'm out and about, I will just take footage of myself and my husband walking or when we're together, you know, when we could do that back in the, back in the day, um, I would take I would take video footage of you and I walking, or I, I just take video footage of people's feet in their shoes walking. And it's led to this idea that I want to start asking everybody on my podcast now, because now that you've told us you would be a classic black ballet flat, um, the next question I want to know is what do you think that, like, what story do you think that shoe choice tells about you? Well, the word that popped into my head was stability. And I don't know if I would have used that word in the past to necessarily uh, describe myself. But I think over the last couple of years, as um, I've kind of, you know, rebuilt my life, and we've built this company together, I think stability has become that thing that I maybe was looking for in my 20s and in my early 30s. And when I started to find that in myself, um, it didn't matter what the rest of the world looked like or what my life looked like. I think that's what those shoes really um, say about me is that I'm grounded and that I'm stable and um, classic. So that, that, that was the word that came to my mind. And I'm like, how weird is that? I would never have used that word before. I love that word stability. That that really does. I mean, I know your story pretty, pretty closely. And um, that would definitely, definitely describe it. I love it. And not at all the word that I was thinking you would choose. <laughs> yeah, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> How so, am I going to describe a boring flat? Like, what kind of words are those? And I'm like, stability, that doesn't sound fun. But I'm like, you know what, that's really what I've been looking for, for mm -hmm. a long time. So I think that says a lot that that's the word that came to mind. I think it'll be interesting to hear what our listeners think about that because I definitely had some people on Facebook or on Instagram be like, I would be a ballet shoe or you you forgot about the ballet flat. And I'm thinking that's because <laughs> I don't have any <laughs> or I didn't have any pictures of any at the moment close to me of, of us walking. But um I think it's so it, it's so fascinating to tap into our creativity and look at at our story through that lens of a shoe because mm -hmm. that's always been something that fascinates me and I'm I mean my husband is a shoe person we're kind of shoe snobs you you know how my husband is with shoes I do but he's got he's got good style though so he I, does I, I have get good it. style yeah. he has such great style so I'm curious to know like how do you tap into your creativity as an entrepreneur? And also, what does creativity even look like for you? Because we have very different personalities in some aspects, especially when it comes to creativity. So tell us a little bit about what that means to you as the CEO, as a, a mom of three, um, you know, going through this life that is 2020, the year of the pandemic. Like, how, how have you tapped into creativity this year? Oh, gosh, creativity this year. Um, honestly, it's really funny because I'm glad you bring it up that our personalities are so different because I think in the past, I used to think I wasn't very creative because it didn't come out in obvious ways. Like I wasn't a painter. I didn't like go and, and, and make things necessarily with my hands or, you know, I didn't 
like create music or do all of these things. But I think over the last, you know, however many months we've been in the pandemic, my creativity has really come out in um, how I use my free time. And I am an introvert. And I think my creativity comes out with how I fill that part of my soul back up again. And for me, honestly, one of the weirdest things that I do that feeds my creativity is puzzles. Sounds insane. But there's something about that repetitious movement that allows my hands to be busy and my brain starts working. Now, sometimes my brain just goes blank and it's just a nice like reprieve from everything else that I'm doing. But other times, um, I've noticed this also when I play piano or when I'm doing something with my hands, not necessarily, you know, coloring or painting or doing anything like that. But when there's a repetitious movement, for me, that is a way for my brain to open up creativity create creatively and it's kind of like once my hands are busy then it lets my brain um take a breath and be like oh okay since we're not thinking about all the things we're usually thinking about let's think about this so it might be the weirdest question to creativity but our answer to how you you know how you find creativity but for me it's definitely been that slowing down of my brain by using my hands to do something i think if i ever wanted to do taking up like knitting or something like that would probably work the same way but puzzles i love how it comes together too like the whole idea of you know seeing something from a box and then actually you know putting it together especially when they're great big ones um yeah i kind of turned into a crazy person And I had no idea. Like I can sit for (laughs) hours until the puzzle is done. Like I have to watch it because um, I guess I have some perfectionist streaks and they really come out with puzzles. So if I sit down to do a puzzle, I will sit there until the puzzle is done, whether I break my back in the process or not. So I do have to watch that. But yeah, that was definitely something that was brand new to me this year. I had never sat down to do puzzles before. Um, I did know the thing about, about sitting down to the piano. Um, But that was probably the thing that really um, helped with a lot of my creativity and to get a lot of emotion out when we were all stuck at home um, and there was nowhere to go to be creative. How do you think that that specific form of creativity of, of puzzling, which I can't, I just, I cannot stop thinking yep. about that episode of New Girl, where Winnie is Win- puzzling. Winston is about to do some puzzling. puzzling. Um, we're big New Girl that, fans that goes, here. That goes in my head. I would probably, Does it? you know. Rachel yes. is about to do some puzzling. <laughs> yep, um, I but I'm not that. colorblind, so it oh, does good. come together better. Good. And since puzzles would come. Have you ever asked, I wonder what it's going to look like though, because I would have to snap at you like Schmidt and be like, (laughs) the picture's on the box. No, I have not. I wonder what it's going to look like. I mean, that seems like a question we might ask in a moment of not thinking. I wonder what it's going to look like. (laughs) We do do sing the theme song to new song, new song to new girl with our names in the song instead of Jess's. Yeah, you and I both do do that. I do sing every so often that, you know, I take Winston's puzzling song because Mm -hmm. why not? I mean, if you're going to do something like a 90 year old in in a, in a nursing home, you might as well give yourself a theme song to do it with. So I mean, 
I think I think that's cool because my I have definitely gone through a season where where puzzling was was a creative way to um, just to kind of unwind. I think it was maybe four or five years ago, and it was over Christmas. I don't know what was happening in my life that year, but my mom introduced me to puzzles, and so that just kind of became the thing that we did for like the next, I don't know, year is we would just do puzzles whenever we were together. But my family gets that way too. Like my dad is very much like, we can't stop until it's done. And I just get frustrated eventually because if I can't find it, like I just need to take a break and come back. Um, And my mom, my mom has the patience. She can sit there and just keep at it. But I'm more like, can't, I need to walk away. (laughs) I end up like Nick Miller. Like I hate doors. (laughs) Right. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Didn't know that this was going to turn into a new girl episode (laughs) um, flashback, but um, that is such a good show. I love it. So, and I mean, I mean, you just kind of got a fangirl when you can fangirl. So Exactly. So I'm wondering how the puzzling and that that form of creativity and even that repetition, like you you mentioned music, which music has been in your life as long as I've known you. So how has that helped you tap into creativity and um, even new ideas for your for your business? Um, I think what it brings to me is. Um, I'm not sure if breakthrough is the right word, but I think anytime in business, especially like say there is um, maybe a new program that we're putting together or definitely when I need to be writing, um, I tend to have to pause when I get to a block and have to do something with music. And oftentimes when I have, when I'm doing a puzzle, I will have music playing in the background. It was like my favorite thing to do was have music playing in the background and be able to do the puzzle at the same time. Um, and I think that it was just a way for me to get over any kind of creative block I was coming up against. Because a lot of times what people might not realize in our business is we do a lot of writing. We do a lot of content creation. We do a lot of um, just brainstorming because we do teach our own content. We do not teach somebody else's content. So that takes a ton of time to be able to put these kinds of things together. And after a while, you start to get burned out and it can be difficult to come up with something new or to come up with a different angle to teach um, something. And my favorite thing to do, like my absolute favorite thing to do is to teach concepts that are maybe um, hard to understand or big concepts and break them down into little, little steps. And I have noticed using things like playing piano or doing a puzzle or having music on helps me kind of break through that barrier to think a little differently. Um, it's almost like, not, I wouldn't say an out-of-body experience, but it's almost like that, where I can look at a problem uh, at a completely different angle that I, than I could when I was just sitting in front of my computer and trying to just like, you know, push through. I mean, there are moments when you have to do that, but unless there's a strict deadline, I, I do like to take a break when I'm hitting those creative blocks and go for those things that I know are going to help me get out of that and and music is one of them and turns up doing a puzzle at the same time is like a great way (laughs) for me to do that so that is so not at all what I thought you were going to say about creativity I would have I would have thought the music part for sure but the puzzle thing and it's so weird because I've seen you doing puzzles like I've seen you post about it online and we've talked about the puzzles and (laughs) I just I that is I I think people 
don't often realize the simple forms of creativity that are out there. Like I a puzzle agree. is creative. I agree. And I think so often for people who are high achievers, for people who have a perfectionist streak, um, for entrepreneurs just in general, we get so focused on the day in and day out of running a company. And it's not like when you have maybe a nine to five where you're, you're building a career that way where you can go home and shut it off. Um, and I think for me, I had to come up with different ways because now all of a sudden I'm home. So I don't really get to go home to escape work. There was a, like a really good boundary when I could drive, um, leave the office, get in my car, go pick up my kids from school. It transitioned me from working mom into mom mode. And um, I was able to, you know, spend the evening doing whatever. But now when my home office is literally staring me in the face and I don't get to leave and they don't leave, nobody leaves. We're all just stuck here together. I had to come up with ways that, um, I could tap into that creativity and not necessarily be alone. And I think for an introvert, that was so hard to figure out how to do because people were always in my space. So, um, and if, if I, I think you said we're turning this into a video too. So if you can see me on the video, I am in our old camper. Um, this is the desperate moment I had to get to where I finally just moved out of my own house and moved my office into our camper because, um, being able to work got really hard and I needed to find a boundary and just walking out my front door into the front door of the camper is enough to turn my brain on into that mode. And then I walk back into the house, check on the family, do something, you know, different from work. But yeah, that was definitely something I had to figure out um, during quarantine was how to be creative, how to find that introvert, like how to refuel that introvert part of me when I was never alone again. I think this is a good time to kind of transition into the idea of having hope in business and losing hope in business and what that kind of looks like. Because I think there's a lot of people this year who have had to be home for quarantine and you know, they maybe felt like, oh, I was just getting my stride as a, as a business. Like things were finally turning around and then. Ugh, coronavirus happened and now we're at home in a pandemic and I don't even have a an office anymore. We're all on top of each other. And I think that, I mean, granted, it's taken a while to get to to this point where, where you are now in your camper as your <laughs> office instead, but also it's adorable. And like, from what I can see, I haven't actually seen it. Um, I've driven by and we've talked to each other in our driveways, but I haven't actually seen the camper. But what a cool idea. Like you already have this space in your driveway and all you had to do was just put some um, internet lines in there so that your Zoom video yep. worked better and you had better <laughs> internet. But what, a, what an innovative way to simply innovate a problem like and and change something that was a problem so that you could be more efficient and effective. So how let's talk a little bit about that idea of hope in business and I think I want to start with um tell me about a time that you had big hope and you took massive action um in in our company. Well, I think the I think the most recent time because I think as a business owner you you cyclically take big action and big hope to keep your business going. But I think when we decided that we needed to rebrand the company, that was a time of 
massive hope, massive action. And also at the same time, it was kind of like the the death of the original dream. So it was really an interesting path to walk where we were building something new, but also dismantling what we thought um, the original vision was going to be for our company. And so I think um, sometimes when you take massive action and you have this this spark of hope, there's a lot that goes into walking out the next steps. Like it starts with an idea. It starts with, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we did this thing or wouldn't it, wouldn't this be a great idea if we started this company? And then, you know, walking that out looks a lot differently than what you think it's going to. But I think for me, the last time in our business that I did a major major turn. And, you know, we took a massive action that wasn't expected. It wasn't even on, you know, it wasn't on the plan to someday rebrand the company. Um, Would have been about a year ago, we went, we went live with the rebrand, but we had started it in April ish, um, the previous April. So about six months before it went live to the public, we were in the background rebranding. So that was definitely massive action taken at that moment. What would you say over the last year has been a moment where you maybe lost hope? Because it's been a it's it hasn't been just a cakewalk. <laughs> no. I think I think what I'm learning with a rebrand is there's layers to it because you you rebrand on the outside and then you still have all of these internal beliefs and internal systems that you have to fix along the way that you might think are fixed because you talked about it and you put a new system in place. But as soon as the first setback happens, you kind of fall back into old patterns. And it's this weird, uh, it's like this weird transition between serving the new customers that are coming on board that fit where you're going, but also still serving the ones that have been with you all along that want to stay. And where does that all fit? Um, and I know it's been quite the pro and then, you know, you throw in a pandemic in the middle of that. It's, it's not your normal rebrand year. I would, I would suspect, but where no. for you was a moment that you started to maybe lose hope and think that maybe this wasn't going to work out. Um, I think honestly, it kind of hit about the same time that the pandemic did. I'm not sure if the pandemic was part of it or if it was just, we were about, um, you know, a year into the idea of rebranding and probably about eight months into the actual, you know, going live with the rebrand. But all of a sudden, when the pandemic hit, because of what our clients needed, we shifted. Um, I wouldn't say backwards, but we definitely shifted into content and coaching that was very similar to what we used to do. And one of the reasons and the major reason that we rebranded is we decided that we had really outgrown the kind of life and faith coaching that we were doing. Not that we didn't like it, not even that it wasn't really working. It was just that you and I as coaches and and Nate, um, we really wanted to shift more into that business arena, move more into the production and media, um, which we had been doing in the background. Um, But I think when we started to have to shift back into old content, Instead of just kind of, you know, book ending that because there is no end yet to the pandemic, it kind of just became a couple of months that that happened. And then it was like, it was almost like it felt like we lost the original vision 
of Rayma team in the process. I don't think we actually did on the surface necessarily, but I think it it really shed or shined a light on where some mindsets were still a problem, where we still had some systems that were an issue, where we were still teaching content that doesn't didn't really work um, anymore. So I think for me, that definitely turned into um, maybe a darker season than it would have. I think we would have gotten there um, anyway. I think there would have been a moment probably in our rebranding process where we brought in old stuff because we were tired and we didn't want to create new stuff and we didn't want to <laughs> maybe do the work with excellence. And we kind of wanted to just go back to what we knew because it was easy and it was already done. So I think we would have had the moment, but I think when that was mixed with the pandemic and all of a sudden we were home, um, you and I had decided a month, if even about a month before the pandemic really hit North Dakota, I'm sure in other places it was already starting to hit, we decided to let go of our building downtown. And so we moved our offices home about a month or so before all of a sudden my kids were home every single day. And so about the time I was just getting used to being home, just getting used to the idea of working from home, which I thought was going to be fantastic. Um, everybody was home. So I think all of that on top of each other all at one time really set me into a season where I was just like, I'm not sure anymore why we rebranded it. I'm not sure where the vision went, but I really want it back. And this seems really dark. <laughs> mm-hmm. Where? How do you think you found, like, how did you reignite that hope again when you started to kind of lose it or be stuck in the the darkness. Well, honestly, you and I had to have some awkward coffee dates about um, where the company was going, what um, what it meant to be a CEO, what it meant to be a CCO, what it meant to run a small business as compared to a large corporation. And honestly, my my hope got sparked again by having some real come to Jesus talks and some um, hard questions and some journaling and some thinking about what does it really mean to me to be CEO of a company? What does it mean to me to be CEO of a company that will probably always have less than 10 employees? And even if they, they're probably not even going to be employees, it'll probably always be contracted work. It might always be me and Mandy and Nate. And how is that different from like, a Fortune 500 company that's publicly traded and the CEO of that company, what does that look like? And um, I even had to get off of social media for a while. I had to really refocus on what it meant and not even refocus. I think I had to find a focus as CEO because I, um, I didn't know what it meant for sure. And I know there were times that I totally dropped the ball being CEO because Um, that stability that I talked about when it came to describing the shoes, I think that's what I was looking for. And what I didn't realize is that I could create that. I didn't have to wait for somebody else to create that. I didn't have to wait for you to create that or Nate to create that. Um, That was really on me as CEO to create stability inside this company and to create processes where we could all shine in the best way possible. And that sounds like hard work. It sounds like um, a lot of soul searching, which it was, but I think that really re-sparked um, that original vision and that hope for me that we didn't really lose the path 
it just got dark for a while and we just had to turn the lights back on and we just had to refocus on, you know, walking the path and not drifting off of it. But that for me, I think, I think that's what did it is those hard questions and those moments where I was like, I don't know what to do next. Mm -hmm. I, I think back to that moment, um, back in 2019, when we first started about rebranding and we, I don't even know if we had a name picked out yet. Maybe we did, but you and I, in our old company, I was the CEO and you were the president, which is basically the same thing. Right. Um, it was mostly just to give me a title. Cause I did, I mean, really this mindset of, I don't know what I'm doing, uh, that traveled from one company to the next. Turns out that just changing your title does not change your mindset, doesn't necessarily yeah. change your bad habits or your patterns. Um, so yeah, yeah, president was pretty much the title we gave me because I didn't know what else to call myself. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, we've been co-founders the whole time and we always wanted to keep it even. And we wanted to both try to be the face of the company and have equal shining time. And um, I think for a season that was important because we needed to learn how to be a team and not one person wanting the spotlight more than the other or needing it more than the other. But I remember that moment where we said, okay, this is what we're going to do. And we need to, I think we're in the wrong positions in our company. And we sat in your office in our little space down on 4th Street in those brown chairs that are now in my home. And we pulled up the meaning, like the the job description of a CEO and the job description of a chief creative officer. And you and I both had tears in our eyes because we felt like we were meeting each other for the first time or meeting ourselves yep. for the first time. And when you really, when it really comes down to it, I think, you know, we probably did lose our way a little bit just because we were trying to, you know, keep momentum and not sink. And we were trying to, you know, be there for our clients and help people that were maybe going to be our new clients. And we wanted to make sure that nobody was sinking during this pandemic. <laughs> um, right. And, you know, we were, we were still grieving too, because we were leaving the, the office downtown because it was the smart, wise choice financially to do, but it was not the dream that we had. And so it was all looking different. And when you started talking again about what it means to be a CEO and what that means you need to be doing, it lines up exactly with that conversation we had at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't think we, you know, lost the path necessarily. I don't even think we, you know, made wrong choices um, in that. It was just, I think when you take your eyes off of where you're heading, because all of a sudden there's noise on either side and this noise was a pandemic and it was really, really loud. Um, it was, it was hard to find the path and stay focused. And I think when you veer, I mean, your feet will go where your eyes are walk, where your eyes are looking. And so for us, I think that's really what happened. I don't, I don't think we just, you know, started blazing new trails or we're like, well, that didn't work. So we're going to throw it out and start something new and let's go back to what we know. I think all along we knew that this wasn't necessarily where we wanted to be long-term, but this was what we needed to do in the meantime, because it's what our clients needed. Um, there was definitely, I think with any rebrand, especially when you're kind of staying in the same industry, I think there's a little bit of that transition from who we were to what we are now. And that takes, I think a lot longer than we realized um, going into it. I think we thought we could just kind of plop right into that new niche and everything would be good. I think 
Uh, I think the surprising part was how long it actually took us to figure out what niche it was. I mean, I think we're talking what maybe 60 days ago when we mm-hmm. we got narrow again on what we really wanted to focus on and who our ideal client was. And um, I think when you go into a rebrand, I think you think that that happens all at the beginning. And who we decided we wanted to serve when we first came out with the rebrand, it's similar. Um, but it's so much more narrow and it's so much easier to speak to that person, the more narrow we got. And I think that was our fear um, is the more narrow we would get, the less money we would have, even though we knew the money, the, you know, the money is in the niche. We hadn't actually seen that play out before. So I think for us, that was definitely throwing our hope into the bucket and just being like, okay, let's see what happens um, as we get more narrow. So I think there's been a lot of times in the last, I would say even since the pandemic where that spark had split again. And then um, I've noticed, I think since the pandemic that that cycle of, oh my goodness, I think we lost the path. I think the hope is gone. Um, what are we going to do? I think it's it's happening quicker where we're finding that, oh wait, no, we're okay. Hope is still here. The spark is still alive. We just need to kind of, you know, shift our eyes a little bit. And so I think um, for this last year, uh, that I have noticed is happening quicker, where it seems like the Mm -hmm. hope gets sparked a little bit faster. And I don't know if anybody else is noticing that. But I think for me, that is something um, I've had to learn, Mm -hmm. whether I wanted to or not, this year is how to re-spark my own hope and the hope I have in my company. Mm -hmm. I've definitely felt that. I feel like that's like my my lifelong lesson to learn. <laughs> but I I do feel like it's going faster. And I think, um, you know, I've I've heard it today on a podcast. I think by Stephen Furtick when I was listening to it, and I read it on somebody else's post that you know our feelings often lie, and that mm-hmm. we we need to pay attention to our feelings sometimes because we need to make sure to process them, but not to bank on them, not to be like, oh, our feelings are definitely the truth about everything. When really that's not how grief or sadness works. Like you have to honor the fact that it's there and it's a feeling, but when you can get yourself to problem solve within it and ask yourself the right questions to move forward, that's when it becomes powerful. And that's when hope stays lit. Like that's how you put it on fire. And you said something about, you know, we had this fear about niching down. And I hear that all the time. Like from I've heard that from certain clients for the entirety of our time together. And I've I've heard it from other people. And I've heard other coaches and gurus be like, you need to find your niche and find your niche and find your niche. Just find your niche and find your niche. Like, <laughs> like it's so it, easy. <laughs> right? Like it's something that is just, oh, you mean this niche? Like like you're <laughs> this one, right like you just dropped it, it on the floor and you need to pick it up again. But what I love is um what you are doing in our virtually savvy membership, which is our online monthly business membership where we teach skills to grow your business online. And the way that you have been spearheading that that coaching content this month is different than anything I've ever heard before. And um, I just want to publicly thank you for that because I have it on my list today to like actually sit down and do that even more because we've had the conversations, but I have yet to sit down and actually do the homework. So that's on my list today. But I'm wondering like how how did that part, like the homework part of this, how did you get there? And what what 
was the thing that really um, kept you going with this when it comes to the rebrand and keeping hope alive and and finding the right niche? Because we we have over the last like we're we're getting there, mm-hmm. we're finding it, and now it's just bringing that out in our marketing. But what was that process like for you? Well, something really funny happened when the pandemic hit and I found myself with a lot of time on my hands. All of a sudden, all of the things that I don't know if anybody else does this, but I had this habit of signing up for courses, signing up for coaching, signing up for um, any kind of virtual training that I think could be good for me, but I don't necessarily have the time to do it right in the moment or I don't have like if it's a like it's a webinar or something like that. I don't actually have the time to be there live. I like to sign up for this stuff because I know eventually I'll be able to get into that content. Well, it turns out the pandemic was my moment to get into some of that content. And I had signed up for this course called Instagram with Intention with Hillary Rushford. She runs Dean Street Society. You can find her on Instagram. And I can't even tell you, I think it was at least a year ago, not even a year now, a year from when I started. So probably almost two years as we're recording this. um, When I signed up for that class, I had done the first module. I think there were 10 or so modules. Well, one of the modules in there is this exercise to write a paragraph about your um, ideal client. And she did not break it down any more than that. And so... I loved the way that she creatively taught us how to write about our ideal client and write it in a story, write it in, um, write it in such a way that you would recognize that person if you saw them walking down the street. And that was the first time I had ever heard it in such a way that you could use creative writing to figure out who your ideal client was. And when you know who your ideal client was, that pretty much narrows down your niche. That's a really good way to do that. And so um, as we started talking about, you know, turning Virtually Savvy into its own program instead of part of another coaching program, I knew that that was something I wanted to dive into a little bit deeper and see if there was a way that I could teach that and break it down step by step. Um, from her concept of, you know, trying to creatively write who your ideal client is, but also break it down step by step. Because sometimes just telling somebody to just creatively write who your ideal client is, you stare at a blank page of piece of paper and you never write down anything. And so what I did is I really came up with um, four or five different areas of their life and their their activities, uh, their hopes and their dreams. And I came up with specific questions to ask yourself. So really what it was is I came up with a coaching, a coaching concept around finding your ideal client. And um, yeah, that's so it was Hillary Rushford's original idea in that Instagram with intention of being able to really storytell on Instagram to your ideal client. That was the point. That's why you kind of did it as a story. But I figured if you can do that with Instagram, you can do that with anything. You can do that um, with any business model that you have. And and it's been really interesting to watch um, the clients that are sharing the process and what they're coming up with. Because for many of them, they might have more than one person 
they might have a female that's 35 and, you know, living with three kids in the middle of nowhere. And they might also have, you know, a, a gentleman that's, you know, 75 and retired and, and looking for something. So it's been really interesting to not only watch them narrow down the niche, but also get so in tune to who their client is and what they are looking for. Because we're told to do that. We're told to find our ideal client and find the niche and, you know, make sure you're speaking to who they are on the internet. And and sometimes we speak to what we think they want. We um, use verbiage and copy that we think that they would respond to. And it turned out that many times it was the opposite. And it's not a lot of people who wake up in the morning and think, I need a business coach. I need to work on my mindset. I need to get, you know, I need to find somebody who can ask me hard questions. That's not usually what we're thinking. What people are usually looking for when it comes to, you know, getting help from somebody or a company like Rama Team is I'm feeling overwhelmed. How do I help with the overwhelm in my business? How do I help? How do I uh, create a system so I'm not so, um, I'm not so jumbled on Monday morning. How do I um, stop negative self-talk? How do I like stop beating myself? How do I get my crap together? Like these are the things that people are thinking about. Well, when you're not writing to that, it doesn't matter how great your product is. It doesn't matter how great your service is. So um, yeah, I think this whole entire year went from a big concept of the different kind of niches we wanted to be in and we wanted to kind of dabble in and see if we liked it um, down to who it was that really like what kind of worked really sparked our soul. What kind of what kind of client made us excited? What kind of work and projects and um, collaborations did we really want to do? And I think honestly, you need to try out the different niches. You need to try out the different clients. You need to try out the different things because how do you know unless you try it out? So that that I think was a shocker that we weren't going to just come out of the gate with our ideal client and have it done. I would agree. I, I definitely... Um, we're really narrowing down into that fun creativity and communicating and helping people get their message out. And I have so much more fun with that. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I, I love the mindset stuff too, and giving people hope, but it's way more uh, energizing to help people build something yes. than it is yep. to tear something down, which a lot of times with your mindset, you have to do a little bit of both. But creatively, I love creating things. I love helping people, you know, with their speeches. I love helping people with their podcast. I love helping people with their graphics and teaching them how to have an eye to see the design on the screen and how to be able to do things on their own when they don't have a budget. Like those are the things I get really super excited about. And it's the thing I've been running from for a really long time. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I think, I think one of the things that's really stayed the same and true to us is we always wanted to teach business owners and entrepreneurs how to do it themselves. And not necessarily like the bootstrap idea where you're just like, you know, you're never willing to spend money. It's it's always something you can do on your own. I mean, we went through those seasons too. Those were long and hard. Mm -hmm. But I think empowering business owners to be able to do their own 
um, website updates, to be able to do their own graphics, to be able to, you know, start a podcast or write a blog or do anything when it comes to telling their story and empowering them by not only giving them the encouragement and the action steps that they need, but also the tools. And I think for us, a lot of that part was the part that was kind of hidden in the background where, you know, we wanted to do production and we wanted to, you know, help people get their story out there on whatever platform they wanted to have, whether they were speakers or writers or, um, you know, creative in any kind of a way. Um, That was the part that I think took the longest to bring into who our ideal client was and what they were looking for. And I think to me, that really sparked hope again in the last, you know, like I said, 30, 60 days as we've gotten more narrowed down into what coaching looks like, what consulting looks like, what projects and clients we're looking for. Um, that's been exciting to me because I think that was the spark of the idea when we started Rayma Team that caught, caught a little dim for a while there because let's be honest, it was easier to do what we knew because it was paying the bills. And there are seasons as a business owners, you have to do that. You have to be able to pay your bills. You have to be able to make, you know, rent and do all of those kinds of things. Um, But as we got more focused on which bills were important, which things were a priority, which stuff could go to the wayside and we didn't have to pay for anymore. It also opened up some creativity for us because we didn't have to worry every single month about making payroll. We didn't have to worry every single month about making sure that the rent was paid because um, that got to be a real problem uh, for a while because you know when you rebrand, I don't remember who it was, uh, which company they started, but it's it was a major corporation and the CEO went into their um, investors, uh, their shareholders and told them, you know, there will be no, um, there will be no profit for the next three years. And I remember telling you that when we first rebranded the company, I'm like, isn't that crazy to think about how Mm -hmm. there's going to be no profit for the next three years or whatever. And it's been really interesting because that's not actually been how this year has worked out. And one of the reasons is because we got really, really good at cutting the fat. Mm-hmm. And for us, the big, big thing that we cut, um, we first started with with payroll, which is usually the most, um, usually the, the first step for most companies is mm-hmm. cutting payroll. And then for us, we really had to look into the other assets that we had and what we really needed. And it turned out we didn't need to pay rent in a big office space downtown just to say we had a big office space downtown. That was a big pride one uh, (laughs) I said that we had to get over. But, you know, the more the money started to not be a problem, the more we were creatively able to come up with solutions quicker to get us to that ideal client, to get us to the niche Mm -hmm. and not be so worried that we weren't going to be able to cover the bills because in the year of the pandemic in, I would say probably, I mean, we're going to see how the year ends up, but um, it's not our most profitable year when it comes to actual revenue, but it is our most profitable year when it comes to how much money we have at the end of the month. Um, Mm -hmm. That is exciting to me. And I think when that starts happening, um, you really get this brain space that you didn't have before. And I think the funniest and most ironic thing about it, it is not even close to the dollar amount I thought we would have to be at for revenue for this to happen. Mm -hmm. 
And that sparked, that is another way that we sparked hope again this year was figuring out how to build, how to build our dream on a budget mm-hmm. um, and create that brain space that we need. Cause it turns out when you are constantly worried about paying your bills, it's real hard to be creative. Oh, completely. It, it is. Oh, there's nothing that sucks the soul out of me faster than, than that. It's like, Oh my gosh, no. And it's, it's hard to serve your clients. Well, when you're that way too, because you're, you're very concerned about, about your responsibilities and where things are headed. And it, I think that's one of the things that has helped me hope wise too, because um, it can be really easy to look at things and compare to where you are now in, in your first year of a rebrand compared to where we were our very first year as a company. And uh, in a lot of ways, we, we're starting over. I mean, we basically are. And we're so much further ahead though, because of the experience that we've had, because of the lessons that we've learned, because of the mistakes that we've made, that it's easier to make these decisions now because we already know what's important and what's not. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully that can be an encouragement for anybody that's listening and is like, oh my gosh, I feel that way too. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, it takes a while to learn these lessons in business. So I, um, this is not at all what I thought we would talk about, but I think it's fascinating. And I, <laughs> I love these conversations myself because they, they keep me inspired for what we do here and for, you know, going after our, our dream and going after the thing that we really love doing in the, the company that we want to build. So I hope it was inspiring to everybody else. Um, yeah. I want to end with one question today, Rachel. Um, what are three things that you are extremely grateful for in this moment? In this moment right now, I am extremely grateful for the health of my family. Um, as the recording of this, my family is actually dealing with the coronavirus. We did have family members come up positive. So we are quarantined. Um, but I am so thankful that we have what would be considered a mild version of the coronavirus. Our family is improving. Um, people are getting healthier. And not even everybody has gotten the same kind of, of symptoms. And so I am so grateful for that in this very specific moment. Um, I am grateful for, um, I am grateful for friendship. I am grateful for uh, family and the bonds that stick so close that even when we can't get together like we used to, um, that those things don't necessarily fade away. I I love friendships that you can pick up um, at any moment, even if it's been months or weeks or years since you talked to somebody or family members. Um, And I think I've definitely noticed over the last couple months, um, that is such a, a joy for me and something I'm so grateful for. And then I am grateful for coffee. I will never not be grateful for coffee. And I love the fact that in my little camper, I have this itty bitty baby coffee pot. And when I come into the camper, it smells like coffee and my favorite essential oil blend. And it just feels like I'm home, even though this is certainly not the office I thought I would have. Um, And so I'm grateful for that. I love it. I love that. And we will definitely do a, another episode with you here in a, I don't know, in a few weeks or something where you can tell us what you've learned about what it's like to go through having coronavirus and the process of it and um, how, how you guys have gotten through it. Because I think we also need to hear those stories too of, 
of okay. how people are are making it through when it happens. So yeah. um, the sad part about that is I haven't seen you for weeks now, other than over I a know. Zoom video. So I mean, I don't know when this podcast is coming out. Do you have a date for it? But um, um, like next, so the week of the twenty fourth of August. Okay, so when this podcast comes out, we will still have another. Like five days mm-hmm. minimum of our quarantine is it's so long you guys it's going to be like a month from the time it started to the time the family finally gets to leave the house and so mandy was asking me you know which subject do you want to talk about on the first one because i want to talk about um you know the coronavirus and the quarantine and i said well we should probably wait until it's over because i might have a completely different mm-hmm. perspective from now yes. when everybody is starting to feel better but we're still all stuck in this house mm-hmm. so I'm I'm excited to share that story with you guys too in the next couple of weeks or month mm-hmm. or so. It'll be a good one, I'm sure. So um, if you've been listening and you've been wondering how you can work with Rachel, you can go find her at raymanteam.com. That's R-A-Y-M-A-T-E-A-M.com. She is um, just... I think the world of her. She's my sister. She's my, I mean, not really, but she's, we've adopted each other's like, like sisters. She's the CEO and the rightful CEO of this company. She's wise and she is just full of the ability to teach people things that um, they can easily apply. And she's just very practical in, in everything that she teaches and with all of the clients she works with, whether it's one-on-one or in our virtually savvy mastermind groups. So we would love to meet you there. Um, Rachel, where would you most like people to find you on social media? On social media, the easiest place for you to find me is on Instagram. Um, It would be Rachel Perman. Um, I do not have a Facebook page, so don't go looking for me there unless you want to find me on Rayma team. Um, But if you're looking specifically for me, Instagram, Rachel Perman is going to be where you find me. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for hanging out with me, Bestie. And hey, by the way, if you are listening to this and you need some resources and tools to help you build your influence as well as keep hope up along the way, make sure to check out all of the resources that we have available at raymateam.com. We have some free ones, some uh, $9.97 ebooks, some video classes, as well as some monthly coaching in a group session or private coaching as well. So we will be here again with you next week. Well, I will be, Rachel won't, but I will be here with you with a brand new episode. Until then, don't be afraid to wrestle with your hope. Keep your hope up and stay creative. Talk to you later. Thanks again for listening. I'd love to hear the takeaways that you got on today's episode. So let's hang out on social media. My favorite place to be is on Instagram. And you can find me at She Who Overcomes Podcast. And I'd be so grateful if you left a review before you go as well. You just might hear your name and your takeaway at the beginning of an upcoming episode. Oh, yeah. And if you're ready to work through your own inner conflict and spark hope again, my new ebook and coaching video called How I Wish It Would Have Gone is available for only $9.97 at raymateam.com. You can get it today. That's R-A-Y-M-A-T-E-A-M dot C-O-M, raymateam.com. All right. My coffee is cold, so I gotta go. See you next week.